Redhead Racing Radio is back after the Daytona Road Course inaugural Daytona Road Course, first one ever. Andrew, did you actually watch the race yesterday? I did. I uh, I figured out how to get my cable box hooked up, and uh, I've turned into quite the electrician here in you are moving into a new apartment. Cape, you're calling yourself an electrician because you hooked up your <laughs> cable and Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I'm a failed electrician because the reason I'm on my phone today and you're going to hear zoom audio from me is because um, the Wi-Fi router decided to not work anymore. So I've been exploring different ways to fix it. And so far have come up with a big old goose egg. on How did you break your new Wi-Fi router? So basically the TV, see, I put my priorities straight. I wanted to make sure I could watch the NASCAR race. So the TV, the Wi-Fi router is plugged in where the TV goes. So I got to undo the coax cable and, and unplug the router because the TV needs to go where the outlet is. So I moved the router to the other side of the room and now it doesn't work. I don't really care to talk about that more, but so the <laughs> verdict is you watched the race, right? I did watch the race, yeah. How? Phone? I, what do you mean how? I told you how. Or your cable through my works? Brand new, through my brand new router. Oh, it doesn't work now, but you're saying it worked yesterday? Yeah, it's like... It just failed on me. But you're back in Arizona, it sounds like, because you're doing, you're setting up Wi-Fi and cable and all that. How has Arizona been? Arizona's good. It's real hot. Um, no. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like 114 degrees right now. We were at the pool when I answered the Zoom call because, you know, you got to soak in the rays in Arizona. But it's, uh, it's good to be back. Hopefully, I'll be able to go to the, you know, Pete said, like, hey, I'll see you at Phoenix last week on the show so fingers crossed i'll be able to go to the race here did so, you see the media request form that nascar sent out today i, I okay, did i did get on that i know i know who to send some emails to to get there <laughs> i would do it first because there's gonna be a lot of people interested in going to that one specifically of course yeah all right daytona road course so we had a couple interviews our last few episodes but we're back this week classic style going to talk about the race and our reaction to the race we also have our friend ryan who went to daytona hello for the road course race. No, you're not coming on yet. I'm what the right. hell? <laughs> Andrew pointed at me. <laughs> so we're going to actually have our friend Ryan, who was at the Daytona road course race. Only, I think, like 10,000 fans or so were there. So we'll get his experience at a race like that, a stock car race on the road course, which is very interesting. But let's talk about the race. Um, I'll start off with this. Would you want NASCAR to race another race on the Daytona road course? Yeah, um, I think when I when we finished that race, I thought, and you know, you see some tweets revolving around on Twitter. I think that road course itself is best suited for the Rolex Twenty Four. Yeah, that's obvious. Is that your only reason? I, I, it's just it didn't work with NASCAR. You just I, said I you wanted another race. No, I didn't. I said, do you want NASCAR to race on that again? You're like, yeah. No, that was me saying, like, yeah, here's the thing. You don't say, uh, you don't answer a question, yeah, when I ask you a yes or no question, and when you actually meant no, but you say yes. All right, so I'll do that again. Sorry, Tyler. No, no, that's good. We're keeping this in. This is fun. Okay, so you don't want NASCAR to go back to Daytona Road Course. I completely agree with you, because there was nothing special about the race. It was not very interesting, but there are hundreds and maybe thousands of other road courses in North America that would be way better suited to put a race on 
versus going to the same venue for a third race a year when it's not worth it. Like, I didn't see anything in that race that was, like, crazy exciting. The only exciting part was the Xfinity race because those guys have less experience in general racing and less experience in road courses. So it was kind of interesting to watch them mess up and wreck and get into trouble. And then that's what made it entertaining. But the racing itself was spread out and not much took place like throughout the race. I think, yeah, I think NASCAR did a, this is the year you, you do that. You experiment with that, with, with the schedule. I'm glad they did it because now there's no longer like a, what if we did that kind of thing? You know, it's these, these sorts of ideas. This is what I love is all these ideas revolve around. You like, wait, what if we went to the Daytona road course? You know, I, I keep hearing like road Atlanta being thrown around and going to a cup race in road America. And it was good from the standpoint of almost, you can put it to rest, fulfill that what if, and you can kind of just see it didn't really work as, as we had hoped it would. Now, the Xfinity race and the truck race and the cup race, they all had little moments that were entertaining to watch. But in general, probably not a good investment. Like you mentioned, we go to Daytona three times a year. Why not invest in a different market? I think this was a good opportunity to do that, but I agree. There are a lot of better road courses out there. We don't need another Roval. I mean, that's what makes Charlotte cool. You know, it's the yeah. only one on the circuit. I think you should keep it that way. But here's the thing. They already planned to race at the Daytona Road Course for the Cup Series next year. Like, that was already on the schedule. This was, of course, an experiment because they had to fill a Watkins Glen race that was no longer allowed to happen. And so they're like, all right, this is the best option we have. But it's not like that was just a random idea they came up with. Like, they were planning, and maybe it'll still happen. The Clash is going to run on that same track next year. And that was supposed to be the experiment. And when, that was, when, like, March. When did they announce that? That was, Mar- was pre COVID. That was, like, early March, late February. Pre COVID, right? Yeah. So I bet you that was originally going to be fulfilling that what if. And I, 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 I really do wonder because you look at what makes the Rolex, I guess, fun to watch is there's three different series going on. There's tons of cars racing around the track because there's plenty of room to race. It's kind of like an endurance course track. I wonder if they wanted to see what 40 cup cars would look like on that Daytona road course and whatever would make a difference. Cause you look at the clash and that's only 18 cars. I don't, I don't think they cared how many cars are racing. They just want to see if the, if it created an exciting race, like the Roval did, like we saw this one oval road course create really good racing. Well, this other one did. And the answer was no. So I think it's time to move on. I agree. And here's the thing. I hope and I pray that NASCAR will take the clash and put it back on the oval. Like there is no reason to go run that race specifically. Like I thought it was the dumbest idea when they came up with the saying the clash is going to be on the road course. Just because you had a lot of wrecks in this one clash race doesn't mean scrap it all together and put it on the road course just to change things up. I agree. You know, I think a speed week's tradition is kind of like being able to see those cars race on the, like, it's like we, we no longer get preseason thunder. And this is kind of like the first exciting moment to see cars on the track racing on the oval. And, and you get exciting moments, more exciting moments than you would get on a road course racing on an oval at Daytona. The point of the clash is to preview the Daytona 500. The point of the racing, the clash on the road, like the road course was just to do something different and see if it works. But like, no like there's no reason to do that you're like having a whole totally different separate race ahead of the daytona 500 that relates nothing to the actual 500 like i highly doubt the drivers were even wanting to compete in that race like it's pointless 
and hopefully it, they change it back knowing that they tried this and it didn't really work. However, the race itself will quickly brief that Chase Elliott, the road course ace, Chase the road course ace. I think that's creative. I'm going to trademark that. He won his third consecutive road course race. How crazy is that? Yeah, I know. I, that's super impressive that, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's been fun to watch Chase Elliott grow into this role. You know, I think it's so interesting how it takes drivers a couple of years to really get started in the Cup Series. But, man, he's just, he's been able to light it up on those big moments. Winning the Roval second year, winning the first ever Daytona road course, the close to the 600, the 500 at Charlotte. Like, he's, he's been able to capitalize, it seems like, on some of these bigger moments and really taking – taking the checkered flag when, when NASCAR needs them to take it most. Why do you think NASCAR needs them to take it most? <laughs> I uh, walk myself into that one. Well, I mean, he's the most popular. And it's good for the most popular driver to succeed, just in sports in general. Like You want the most popular athletes to do well because when that it naturally draws, draws yeah. fan interest. That's right. When it naturally happens, I think it's great. Of course, like NASCAR doesn't cheer for certain drivers to win, but I think they're happier when more popular drivers win. Got and then make when they're popular victories, like when the fans are screaming after a race because they're excited about who won, versus just kind of filing out and not really having a reaction. Like you want a reaction, and Chase Elliott gives them a really positive reaction, even if it's significant. Any time he wins, yeah. Even if it's Dale Earnhardt who got at Bristol, whatever year with him and Terry Labonte, he got booed to death at that track. And he still was a very popular figure, but that was a reaction. It was a negative reaction. Whether its reaction is positive or negative, you just want that reaction. And Chase Elliott gives NASCAR that. Kyle Busch gives it the opposite. Usually Joe Logano probably gives it the opposite nowadays when he you know, gets into everybody. But having emotion in the sport is good. Hey, you mentioned Kyle Busch. Man, he cannot catch a break, it seems like. It's very interesting. You would think, oh, he blamed no practice a few months ago. That's hurting his performance, but it's just very interesting to see him, who we would think could thrive with no practice and thrive under any circumstances that are thrown his way because he's a two-time champion, one of the best drivers, like probably the best, most talented driver in the field. Like You would think he'd be able to succeed no matter what, but yeah, 2020 sucks for him. Yeah, I, I thought early on, that this could possibly be his shot. You know, he, he's going to have, but this is, it's so funny. Now, Kyle Busch wasn't necessarily in this situation a year ago. Obviously he had wins, but I remember counting Kyle Busch out when we were having this podcast a year ago. And then he sure enough goes and wins the championship. But to, to my credit, I did pick him to be the champion on fantasy. So I did kind of get it right, but I just counted Kyle Busch. And then he, he went and proved everyone wrong. Although, this seems like it's the latest in the season that he's gone without winning. I remember Pocono a few years back yeah. was the first time he won. Um, and it, it took him, it was the second Pocono race. And he kind of said it was the monkey off his back. And then he kind of lit up from there. Obviously didn't win the championship that year, but it, it's really, it's going to be interesting to see what direction Kyle Busch takes, because you would think he'd start turning it around by now. But then again, the playoffs, Somehow he, he pulls some magic out of his hat and he's able to uh, to prove us all wrong right when we count him out. Yes, never count him out. 
But the one thing that'll be interesting about his playoff run, though, is he has like no playoff points. He has like two or three. Yeah. Do you know how like he's lived off playoff points every year that they've been in existence to carry through each round? Like that'll be a struggle for on his end, especially if he gets to the round of eight and then has to make the final four, where three guys are pretty much already guaranteed a spot based on their playoff points, and there's only one left, and he's not the best. Like that'll be that'll be something to watch. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You you brought up this that the top four in points all from different teams. I like that. That's very. It's. I'm not sure it's happened in the last few years, or especially under this format. That's what amazes me is trying to figure out because you figure the Joe Gibbs cars they're working together at least closer than you would with any other team or manufacturer. You figure they'd all be able to kind of hit it on the same cylinder as they have in years past. You know, when, when one Joe Gibbs car is good, you would expect at least two or three others to be just as good. But it's so interesting that Denny Hamlin has kind of taken the reins and, and run away with it. Same with Kevin Harvick at Stuart Haas. Yeah. I, it just fascinates me how certain combinations like that are working out. I think every team's independent. Like, they're not all having the exact same stuff. Like, every team wants to win – Above there's definitely teams. a lot more sharing going on. They're though. sharing, but there's definitely a, like there's enough. Like they're not doing the exact same thing. If they were, and then if also I guess relates to the driver style, what they like, and if certain styles don't match other drivers, like if what Denny's doing is not going to work for Truex, so Truex isn't going to do the same thing. They'll do similar things, like probably back in the shop, but once they get to the tractor in the race, like they're changing different things up. So I, it's Gibbs is like they. I don't think they've all been on. They've been all good, but they've never all been on the same page. This year, it seems like Denny's definitely above the rest, but Truex is just kind of he's not being as good as he has been, but he's still not bad. Kyle, of course, is struggling. Eric Jones hasn't been that great. Stuart Haas is interesting that Harvick continues to be really the only guy that succeeds on that team. Like Almirola has been solid this year, but it was also because he drew had the best qualifying draw for like two months and he got to start up front. And when track position matters and no one can pass anybody, he was able to succeed. Like it was easy. Clint, I, f- I love Clint. We love Clint. He's one of our favorite personalities. Hate to see him struggle. He had a good race this past weekend. I think he'll make the playoffs pretty comfortably at this point if he doesn't, you know, have a bad next couple of races. But I do, like you were saying, the four teams in the top four. Keselowski's the Penske representative there. But guess what? The next two guys after that are the other two Penske cars. So Penske's strong. They seem to be the top dogs with the most competitive teams right now. But I'm all about if we're going to have Chase from Hendrick, Denny from Gibbs, Harvick from Stuart Haas, and Brad from Penske being the four like horses that are leading the field and battling for the championship. I think that'll be interesting to watch because just in the different teams. Man, and, and big credit to – I always think it's so impressive for Chris Gabehart, who is a sophomore crew chief. Literally every single race he's run has been with Denny Hanlon. Won his first race ever in the Daytona 500. And it's so – interesting to see that he can just jump right right out of the gate and and be able to to compete and uh, I spoke with him two weeks ago and I asked him like from that first Daytona 500 to right now what has changed for you because he's still basically as successful as he was but you figure a crew chief can only get better there right now firing on all cylinders and he said it's it is the communication within the that 11 team which makes it really interesting Obviously, yeah, we mentioned that teams aren't sharing as much, but 
man, this, I don't really know where I was going with that. You think, I would uh, think, you know, fast cars probably make better, more different communication. I think if communication was the key to success that every team would, you know, we should work on our communication to get better. No, I totally disagree. Teams are natural, like, they're going to be good at communication. Like, fast cars yeah, are what make the difference. Some teams are better. Fast cars make the difference. I know, but communication is not what makes the difference on the racetrack. Why do crew chiefs change pair-ups? Because people, teams have come to realize that, well, if they're not succeeding, it must be what the crew chief's doing. He's not providing the right setups. He's not doing the right thing. So let's change that up and so, fix it. So what's the rationale behind Penske switching up all their crew chiefs? Crew chiefs stayed where they were at. They wanted they more. Stayed they stayed at Penske. They, they changed w- the drivers. It's about communication. No, they wanted success. They wanted to change things up and see if they could succeed more. They were good. Like all three teams were good, but they thought they could get better with a change like that, and it seems to be paying off. Just changing the real dynamics, changing the dynamic up, giving parent like you got to fit a crew chief with the driver. Like try it out, see what happens. Like Kevin Harvick, Rodney Chillers paired up. They have been unstoppable since they did that. So certain relationships work, but it's also about building the cars. Like if they're fast cars, they're going to work. Communication is not the most important thing. Fast cars are more important than communication. If you have good equipment, you're going to succeed. Communication, bad communication probably does hurt, but it's not like the biggest part of the recipe to succeed, the recipe of success. Also, Chris Gabehart was probably an engineer for, I don't know, I'm not actually, I don't know for sure if he was a Denny engineer or another Gibbs engineer for years before he got to that role. So he's probably already pretty well groomed to be in that position, but it's just making the calls yourself is what the next level goes to once crew chiefs are, once they get elevated from engineer to crew chief. Speaking of crew chiefs, we're hoping to have a crew chief on in a few weeks from JRM. So we'll actually, I want, I'm interested to ask him about that, how his role changed from going from a lead engineer to the crew chief role. Good talk about Daytona. Let's move on. Our friend Ryan Warkowski who is at the Daytona Road Course, one of 10,000 fans maybe at the race in person. Not many fans can say they've attended a NASCAR race in 2020, so it's a pretty big deal to say that. Hey, Ryan, what's up? Hey, Jason. How are you? Um, Pretty good. As you've been listening to our show, so we'll ask you a little bit about your experience at the race. But first, I want to set up, we're, we've been friends with you probably for, I don't know, two or three years now. We actually met because we Andrew had started a NASCAR Fantasy League probably like 2018 or so. And you were in it, and we had a group chat, and you were, like, the only one that would, like, respond to us in the group chat, like, this 10-people group chat with fancy people in it. And so then we just kind of started getting to know you a little bit better. Met at Chicagoland in 2018, my first time up with Andrew at Chicago, and got to meet you. And now you've become one of our best friends in the last few years. So, And we've been, saw each other at Chicago again. We've hung out in Chicago when I've been up to visit, so... Um, you were a big NASCAR fan too. Um, more of an engineering mind than us. We're more media minds, but everyone's got their interest in NASCAR. So, um, you also like to roast us a lot in the group chat. We like to roast you. So you probably have a lot of dirt on us. You could share in the podcast. So, um, hopefully you'll stay away from that and just talk about your race experience. (laughs) So I'm interested to know how, what was the experience like? getting to the track of course all tracks are that are allowing fans are are following protocol of you have got to follow these rules to get into the track so compared to normally going to a race before 2020 what was it like to have to get through the gate and get to your seat okay well it was 
way different than normal because the parking for all the fans is where the sponsor booths are. It's like the fan zone outside the track before you enter. That's where you park because they can't do all that stuff with COVID. So they had that. They did have every single merchandise hauler, which many tracks. Oh, really? Yeah. Many tracks who are allowing fans have maybe one or two. They had every team. Um, but then once you were to go into the track, you had to get your uh, temperature screened. Then you had to go through security before you could get your ticket. And the security changed where it, you can't have backpacks and coolers anymore. If you were to bring a backpack in with stuff, it had to be clear because they don't gotcha. want to be touching your stuff yeah, with yeah. the pandemic going on, which is interesting. So we just went out and bought two clear backpacks. Yeah. But yeah. And then once you're inside the stadium, mm -hmm. way more limited, you know, about 25% of the restaurants were open. Mm -hmm. You know, they had pop-up little merchandise tents instead of like the stores that they have built in at Daytona. So that was a little damper. But as long as you brought your own food, it was good. That's that's really – I never would have thought about the backpacks. But, I mean, it makes sense when you mention it. Like, not bringing in something that they can touch and, and see through. Did you get a sense – because we've seen races with fans under COVID, and some of them have looked more crowded than others. Daytona seemed like it was pretty spread out. Did you feel like it was pretty spread out for them? most part yeah it was super spread out like the entire time they did a perfect job of like keeping everyone at a social distance with their masks on and all that the only thing is once you got to your seats people like pulled them down a little bit but it's i can see where it's a problem but it's kind of all right too because they sold the seats social distance right so your assigned seat was always six feet or even more than six feet away from somebody else. I felt like huh, they were allowing, like you could take your mask off when you're in your seat because you're not going to be, like yeah. when you're sitting down watching the race, mask mm -hmm. off. Was that? And too, because there was a heat index at like 103 degrees. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I want to ask you about that because uh, on Door Bumper Clear today, Freddie and TJ were saying how it was probably the hottest race they've ever been a part of. We've all, we were all at Chicagoland for two yeah. years when it was hot as yeah. hell out. Yeah. But um, would you say that Daytona yesterday was hotter than that Chicago race that those few years? Because that's, um, that's what we're judging off of. Honestly, I believe Chicago was way hotter. Oh, really? Interesting. But the only problem I had was the truck race because that was noon, which is the hottest yeah. time in Florida. Our seats backed up to like the staircase going up to the fourth level of seats. So we had this big metal wall behind us. Ooh. So the sun hit the metal wall and like came back off us. So it was like instantly 10 degrees hotter. So would you say you got sunburn on your neck and you're now a redneck? I sure am, Jason. <laughs> wow. Andrew <laughs> falls victim to that a lot too when he's at the racetrack. I've got pictures. I'm laughing, at, I'm laughing at Tyler's reaction, by the way. <laughs> I've got pictures from Chicago last year of Andrew's like progression of sunburn from Thursday to Sunday. And you can just tell he's getting redder and redder and yep. redder. Hey. That's pretty funny. You, uh, you know my profile, like my contact photo on your phone, right? Is me like messing up all the sunscreen and everything. No, putting sunscreen on. Right? Yep. Yeah. I still have that problem, putting way too much on my face. Yeah, then you look like you're a ghost. Yeah, that's right. So I'm glad you wore your sunscreen <laughs> Wait, hat. Go ahead. Yeah. Ryan, you mentioned that. So 
from what I originally heard with some of these racetracks, the restaurants would either not be open or they would have like a, like a predetermined menu of like to go stuff like they gave you in a bag or was it actual concession food? Just less was open. Yes, exactly. It was less, um, locations opening so that they didn't have to have as many workers but there was still mm. like burgers freshly made hot dogs freshly made but when i went to imsa at daytona that's when they had what you were just describing so like just bags oh. of potato chips like pre-made salads just stuff like that interesting mm -hmm. so i wonder if that's a nascar thing then i think it has to do with that yeah. series for sure all right, so let's move on to the race itself. Watching, you've been to a Daytona Oval race before. You've also went to the IMSA race at the Daytona Road Course around 4th of July weekend. Yep. So how was, from your stand vantage point, which you were sitting kind of towards the entrance of the turn one of the um, road course and into pit road and right there. So watching a, a NASCAR stock car race on the road course compared to Daytona Oval, or it was also your first road course race in general, what were your, what was your thoughts on what you were, how you, like the viewing experience for the road course. I was blessed with my seats. We could see pretty much everything. The only thing that was a little difficult to make out was the chicane they put in specifically for NASCAR off of turn four. Cause they, when they went into it, the haulers actually blocked it. Oh really? So, cause they're parked right on the other side of the yeah. So that was the only difficulty I had, but I went, because it was hot, so we just walked around and like find water and stuff. And I went out the um, out to the seats while they were switching from the trucks to a cup, and they were getting lined up on the grid. And I was probably I was pretty close to the start finish line, and I was just doing a glance. I could not even see the back stretch or like half of the road course section. So it all depends on where you select your seat. Yeah. Because I think at the Roval, the same problem is that Charlotte had grandstands in turn two until probably like 2013, 2014, 2015. Then they tore those down. And then they invented the Roval like two years later. And those seats would have been perfect because they overlooked that infield portion. But the Roval at Charlotte, you've got like so many, so much of the seats are from turn four to the start finish line where there's only that little chicane in the front stretch. But then the turn one seats, which are limited, have the view of the whole road course. And that's probably the best spot to watch the race. And of course, you see the stands are always filled over there because that's where people can see. But um, so you were able to see like any wrecks or any, like all, there wasn't many in the cup race, but like when Harvick spun through the infield, for instance, you were able, like that was a pretty clear view from where you were yep, sitting. Yeah, super clear. Because I haven't got most of those wrecks on video because they've happened on a restart. That's where you saw the most wrecks happening. Um, like just everything about that road course was way better than I expected where I think we kind of hit a problem with, um, you know, broadcast versus being there in person because, you know, and that goes for any track. They focus on the lead, which they should, but back in 15th, 16th, you know, there's a huge side-by-side -side battle going on that gets overlooked. Yeah. Where there was multiple times where even on our screens, like the ISM boards uh, broadcasting the race, if you can't see, they would be showing Chase like five seconds ahead of Hamlin. Well, if you looked like in 15th, there was like Bowman, Grala, all of them side-by-side, -side, three wide going into these turns where it was very exciting to see. That's a good point. NBC was 
not on their game, I thought, this weekend broadcast-wise. So I I think that's always the case. At track, it's better than, you know, the view experience on TV, and you definitely see more. Um, but majority of fans are watching on TV, so that usually dictates the reaction to the race. What kind of fan stuff did, like, was the sprint or not? <laughs> Let me do that again. The next television screens. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You can leave them there. Um, was the, uh, what's it called? I No. Was is it the TV screen, the big TV screens, Ryan. The you know big, those? The yeah. big TV screen. Were they yeah, there? You know I mean? Were they on? Like, did you turn did they them have on? Pre race stuff going on. Like, was MRN through the speakers? Did it feel like okay? If you would have looked and sat in your seat and ignored the mask and the social distancing, did that aspect of sitting in the stands feel like a normal NASCAR race of like pre race and everything? Yes, it did. So what they did here was uh, they did the teleprompter, the ISM thing. And they did the driver picture and their stats when they and they did um, starting order, just like a normal race would have been. And then they wheeled out a stage that faced where the stands were because for this race they did everything uh, on the turn one side of the start finish line is where fans were. So they brought that whole stage over there where they did the uh, prayer, the national anthem, and then the flyover too. So, I mean, this was the most non COVID day. I feel like I've had since it came out. It was so nice and it felt normal. It was just that's so awesome. nice to feel that. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome. That's so was everyone in a certain set. Could you sit by turn four or, and, and how, and I'll, ask you that and then also how did you get your seat because i know bristol you bought a seat in a section and then it was an assigned seat from there did you get a whole lot of choice into where you sat um yeah you actually got a lot so really? it was it's the same procedure as a normal race you just went on their website went to the tickets and then you have to select your seat but they already oh. had it where like seats from like underneath the world center of racing and then the seats on turn four side, those are like shown as sold out, even though nobody bought them. And then when you clicked on a section that you wanted, that's what I'm saying, like where they were socially distanced already. So they only had like four seats and then they would skip like 10 seats and then have another four seats that you could pick. Hmm. So then, yeah. And then we just picked our seats that way. I don't know if Andrew has much experience buying race tickets on the website for a race. <laughs> and so that's pretty like typical. That's when I went to Daytona. Of course, you look well, and yeah. find your seats like that. Well, no, I knew that, but I wasn't because Bristol and Tyler. Yes, Bristol, did you, diff- you, Bris- Bristol did differently because they kind of you bought tickets and they assigned you. But however, yeah, Bristol so closed the corners down just because spacious wise. But I feel like Daytona did it much smarter because you can mm-hmm. still pick where you want to sit. That's the most important thing when you're going to race. For sure. Like fans care about where they sit. And and you're right. I haven't bought tickets in the <laughs> in the longest time. So you are right. Yeah. But All right, I don't know Ryan. How it works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just just checking. Us normal race fans. I don't know. I work in sport, but I bought tickets to race last year. Like it's a normal mm-hmm. thing. Exactly. All right. Last thing Ryan, Chase Elliott wins a race. The fans go crazy. Did you, yes. was that same reaction, what the Chase Elliott got when he crossed the finish line yesterday? Oh, yeah, it was, it was electric. Everyone went crazy. And then going to the conversation you guys had earlier with Chase and Kyle getting fan reactions, both times Kyle had a problem, 
you can guess certain profanity was used. And you know where it is the most active crowd I think I've ever seen. Yeah, very interesting. They were very exciting to watch. Awesome. All right, I'm glad you got to go to the race. You've been you're going back in a couple weeks for the Daytona Oval anyway. So really cool that you're getting to go to the racetrack and we get to hear about your experience there. Now, of course, you're going to be able to tell your kids that you went to a NASCAR race in 2020 when such a few amount of people will get to do that. Like I doubt I'm going to go to a race anytime this year. Andrew may get to go to one. Of course, we were at Daytona for a little bit, which was you know crazy. But like that's the last normal race we went to, and that was in February, which is Phoenix. six months ago. Yeah, but it's like you or you planned you. Of course, you went to a bunch of races in the spring, Andrew. But um, none post everything shut down. Everything's different, so it's very interesting. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on. Thanks I know you're a huge me. fan of Redhead Racing Radio, so I bet this <laughs> made your year to be on our podcast. Mm-hmm. I think that was a yes. Wouldn't you agree with Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Andrew, do you know what I'm most excited for this weekend, this upcoming r- weekend? What are you most excited for? Indy 500. Oh, yeah, I know. That's I know. awesome. Stop being sarcastic. I love the Indy 500. No. Oh, really? I'm not being sarcastic at all. I, Sounded I like cannot it. wait. Indy 500 is one of my favorite races to watch all year. I went to it last year. It was blown away like by the tradition by the pageantry by the race itself like first indycar race ever it was incredible like now this year i am so into following what's going on in indy through qualifying yesterday like seeing marco andretti win the poll like i got chills watching that like that's such a crazy story and crazy like thing to happen and it's so awesome for the andretti family um that was cool but this race itself like the tradition the excitement it's just fantastic and we're not going to get into this conversation right now, but I want to throw this out there. I've been thinking, I was telling a few friends this, that the Daytona 500 has kind of had a lot of the same winners the last bunch of years. Like, Denny Hamlin's won three now in the last, like, four or five years. Like, it's been repetitive. But the Indy 500 feels like it's always, like, a, like and this is what Daytona kind of used to feel like when we had a bunch of different winners every year where it was someone different. But Indy seems like it's always someone different. Like, new winner every year. And that's like, of course, Daytona also makes the driver's career. But Indy, you can tell, like... They're crying. It's like this incredible feat to win that race. Where Daytona hasn't felt like that as much in the recent years. It feels like Denny Hamlin was, you know, he's used to winning it now. And I guess that comes with winning all the time. But Indy, just like the emotion of the race and like how big of a deal it is and how big of a deal it, I saw it meant to the city of Indianapolis, how much of a big deal it means to the IndyCar drivers themselves. Like I've been so hyped for that race ever since going there last year. And I'm stoked to see it play out on Sunday. You know, it's, it's, it is a real big bummer that we aren't going to get the pageantry that we're normally used to, but mm. the race itself always is fantastic. Like, it, in my opinion, I think it always goes by way too fast. You know, I think we're used to, like, 500 NASCAR miles, and then when you go on IndyCar speeds, it's so much quicker. Yeah. But that race, you don't ever want to take your eyes away from the TV, it seems like. It, 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 that is, like, when we had the triple with Monaco – Indy 500 and 600 on a normal year. Indy 500 is always my favorite one to watch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So stoked for that. We'll have some reaction to that. Hopefully it's a really entertaining and enjoyable race and gets a good story at the finish. We'll talk about Dover next week as well. Two races at Dover. And then it's one race to the playoffs begin. Like, I don't feel like and playoffs we're going are... to Daytona. Yeah, like, like the... playoffs are being talked about, but I don't think they're really being talked about yet. And it's about to kick into high gear. I... I... I think it is going to be so awesome that we're racing. Like, 
it's it's a give and take because obviously the July Daytona race that we're used to is like, it was one of my favorite traditions, you know, right around the 4th of July, you go to Daytona for a night race. But to have that be an elimination race in August on a night is going to be, I think, possibly just as good. And it's going to be one of these changes that we're going to have to get used to. But once we do, it's going to be a fantastic move. And obviously, you know, we talked to Pete last week about the 2021 schedule. I really hope that they would keep something like that, an entertaining way to eliminate people from their chances of making the playoffs. I mean, if you look, the elimination races this year, you, you could say Daytona's won, Bristol's won, Martinsville's won. We have the best elimination races this year. And I mean, obviously we'll talk about it more, but I can't wait for that. Daytona Oval to finish off this regular season. Yes, our wishes for the 2021 schedule. More Daytona Oval, less Daytona Roval. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Hey Jason Schultz. Andrew's at Andrew Curlin TV. Um, I want to drop one last nugget in here. I'm not sure what day this is coming out, but we're on Monday. We got to see Jimmy Johnson throwback paint scheme today. It's very secretive. It's coming out this Wednesday. It's probably one of the most badass paint schemes in NASCAR history. So if you're listening to this, it's probably already out on Hendrick Motorsports' social channels, but go check that out because it's freaking epic. See y'all. See ya.